John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. We'll begin reading again in verse 1 and read down to verse 9 this morning. Again, we read these verses last Lord's Day. And then I spoke on the resurrection. This morning we'll pick up with the phrase, the first day of the week. After these things, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, not John 21. John 20, the first day of the week cometh cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. He, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. We'll leave off reading in John chapter 20, verse 9. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross to fulfill the scriptures concerning God's plan to save His people from their sins. He went to Calvary's cross as God's substitute to stand in the place of sinners to take their sin upon Himself and to bear God's judgment against that sin against Himself. He went to Calvary to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. He went to Calvary to put an end to sin, as Daniel says. When all His work on the cross was accomplished, He Himself declared, it is finished. In John chapter 19 verse 30. After he had died, after he had satisfied the righteous demands of God, two of his disciples took his body down from the cross and laid him in a new tomb where another man had not been laid. We see this in John 19 and verse 41 and 42. There he laid for three days and three nights as I preached last Lord's Day, waiting for the resurrection of his body as had been promised him by his father um, many, many hundreds of years earlier. Then, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, our Lord rose from the grave. In the scriptures before us, it simply says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, 
when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. But all four gospel writers record this event. And as usual, each one puts in that which he considers important and that which the Holy Spirit uh, inspires him to write. So, if you're going to see and understand what took place on the first day of the week, you're going to have to study all four gospel writers. It is interesting. Those who want to find error with the Word of God, gather up the information in all four Gospel writers and say, see, this one says this one, this one says that. They must be wrong. The child of God, on the other hand, gathers up the information in all four Gospels and he said, God has given me some information here and I need to study it and learn what it is God would have me to learn. What a difference of opinion as to how a man approaches the Word of God. You either approach the Word of God as its standard and judge over you, or you approach the Word of God as though you are the standard and judge over it. There are no two other, other opportunities. There's no other way to look at it. If you were here this morning, and you were looking at the Word of God, and said, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, what about that? You are setting yourself up as judge over God's Word. On the other hand, if you're God's child, you say, whatever God says. I may not understand it. I have to study. And in this case, we definitely have to study. Because, as I said, all four Gospel writers put down information. And it takes a great deal of gathering of the information to find out what happened. We're not going to deal with all of it this morning. But we are going to deal with some of it. First... It was the first day of the week and not the Jewish Sabbath. This is important because some religions, even some Baptists, Seventh-day Baptists, I don't know if you know about them or not, but they exist, even some religions teach that our Lord rose on the Jewish Sabbath and not on the first day of the week. And so Christians should... to worship God on the Jewish Sabbath and not on the first day of the week. I had a long, ongoing discussion with a young man who believed that while I was in Mexico one time, ministering, preaching there for uh, some time. And he and I, uh, in the mornings and in the evenings, (laughs) along with a few others, everyone sitting around, but it's he and I, and I'm praying and I'm thinking, he said... He said it was the first day of the week when Mary Magdalene came. First day of the week when this happened. Not saying Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And it doesn't. It's true. So I'm praying and seeking the Lord's face and I'm reading and rereading the text. And finally, Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 on the fourth day. He said, Brother Pat, didn't you know this before? I knew it, but I couldn't. Yeah. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. Why it took me several days to find that when I was using the concordance and all the rest of it, I have no idea except that God just kept it from me for a while. 
perhaps to test my heart whether or not I would engage this person when he was just so adamant against the things that I knew was saved. I don't know. But it was Thursday of that week before that verse came to my mind and heart. And I will share it with you this morning. It says very clearly, Jesus rose on the first day of the week. It was early in the morning on the first day of the week. All four gospel writers uh, uh, address this issue. It becomes important if it's mentioned four times in the scriptures. Matthew says, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. And Mark says, very early in the morning of the first day of the week, at the rising of the sun, Mark 16.2. That was Matthew 28.1. Luke 24 says, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Luke 24.1. And so all four gospel writers mention this phrase, and it becomes important to us. It was the first day of the week when Christ rose, and it was early in the morning, And it was early in the morning when Mary Magdalene and others came to the sepulcher. What is the application? That's the interpretation. But what is the application? What can we get from just a bit of history here? Because you ought not to read the Scriptures just to get the history or just to prove some doctrine. You read the Scriptures to learn what it is that God would have us to know from these things. First, let me say this. Every day of our life is filled with responsibilities. That is a true statement. We each have been given 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year. Each one of us has been given the same amount of time. Each one of us rises in the morning to a host of responsibilities before us. And each one of us engages ourselves to take care of our responsibilities. It doesn't make any difference whether you're homeschooling or going to school. You get up in the morning, you've got to get breakfast, you've got to get dressed, you've got to go to school. Everything is before you. You've got responsibilities. And our day is filled with everyday responsibilities. Every one of our responsibilities deserves our attention. Whatever that responsibility might be, however small or insignificant as far as the world is concerned, whatever it is, we have a responsibility and we must see to our responsibility. It is our duty to do what we have been given to do. But, having said that, some things deserve to be done early. Some things take precedence. Some things deserve to be done first before all the other things that we have to do and we are responsible to do. Some things are more important than others. And the earlier we get them done, the better. It is no accident that the Scripture four times says that it was early in the morning on the first day of the week. We miss words sometimes. We miss uh, things sometimes because it's just history. It's just, it's just a accounting of things. And I don't want us to miss this morning that the word early here is mentioned here as a significant thing. That which is important to the child of God must be important enough to be done early. 
that which is worthy of the name Christian must be important enough to be done early. That which is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father which is in heaven must be important enough to us to be done early. David in Psalm 63 verse 1 the heading of the psalm says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. He is running for his life. He is in the wilderness of Judea. He is having to fetch his water and his food and his shelter and the protection of himself and his family and his, and his, and his soldiers. He, all of that is on his shoulders in the wilderness. It's not the ideal situation. But here in Psalm 63, verse 1, David, when he was in the wilderness of Judea, says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. Early will I seek Thee. I found of mothers and of fathers and of preachers that the more responsibility laid upon them, the more burden that they carry, the more they have to do to face the day that is before them, the more they feel the need of first, early as possible, a meeting with God, taking care of that which is first and most important. In Psalm 5, verse 3, the psalmist says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and look up. Early this morning, I do not know what time. I just know when I opened my eyes, the room was still dark. Early this morning, when I opened up my eyes and the room was still dark, my mind and heart was filled with the names of those that have been a burden upon my heart for a long time. The next time I opened my eyes, the light from the sun was coming in and it was seven. I had gotten up, I had fallen back asleep and now it was seven. I need to get out of bed because I got responsibilities. The writer of Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 says, I love them that love thee. Or David, God is saying, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. Proverbs 8, God is speaking, verse 7. Those that seek me early shall find me. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. John records that Mary Magdalene alone came to the tomb where Jesus had laid, but we know from Mary's own words and from the testimony of the other gospel writers that she was not alone that others came with her. Aha! A mistake. No. It is not a mistake. It is not a mistake. Drop down to John chapter 20 verse 2. John says in verse 1, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. Look at verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, 
They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid Him. Not I don't know where He's at, but we don't know where He's at. Ah, brethren, right quickly God tells us there were others with her. John only mentions her because she is the first one to whom Jesus revealed Himself. Mark chapter 16 agrees and says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought spices and that they might come and anoint Him. Mark 16 verse 1. Luke chapter 24 verse 10. Luke chapter 24 verse 10 says, It was Mary Magdalene, by the way, in all the Gospels, she is the first one mentioned. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things to the apostles. They came running back and told the apostles that the tomb was now empty. All these women were at the tomb early that morning. They came through the streets of Jerusalem in the darkness of the early morning hours. They came despite the obstacles they faced. Now, remember, this was a time in Jerusalem where multitudes from all the nations had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. Do not forget that among those multitudes that came for the Passover, most of them from those nations would stay until Pentecost. And during the course of this time from, Pentecost, from, Pen, uh, from Passover to Pentecost, multitudes would come into Jerusalem and the city would fill up. And people had nowhere to stay and so they would pitch tents on the outside of the city or they would pitch a little tent on the side of a wall and the streets of Jerusalem were cram-packed full of people from all kinds of different nations. Not every one of them were there because they loved God. In addition, Jerusalem is filled with Jews who hate Jesus Christ and His followers. And in that atmosphere, Mary Magdalene and a handful of other women get up early in the morning and leave the safety of their houses. No men come with them, by the way. And leave the safety of their houses and trek out on the streets of Jerusalem to go outside the city of Jerusalem to Calvary where there was a tomb not too far from the cross where Jesus had been laid three days and three nights earlier. In addition, they knew that Pilate had set Roman soldiers around the tomb to guard the tomb, the Jews had come to Pilate and said, he said, after three days he would rise again, put some soldiers there to keep his disciples from coming and robbing the tomb. Remember? And so, rising early and heading steadfast to that tomb with the knowledge that the Roman soldiers would be there guarding it. In addition, perhaps they did not know this, but the Jewish leaders had gone to Pilate 
and told him, we knew that we know that their disciples may come and rob this tomb to prove that he rose after three days. So we are asking you to put a seal on that tomb. Matthew 27, 65 and 66. Pilate said to them, you have your watch, that's the soldiers, go and make it as sure as you can. And they, so they went, verse 66 says, and they made the sepulcher sure sealing the stone and setting a watch. These two things. Now the commentators are all over the place on the word sealing and what they actually did. The word English word sealing comes from a Greek word which means a stamp or a, a seal uh, put on a, a, a government document that keeps anybody from opening it except the one that is intended to. You have seen perhaps these old English movies where they would put wax on, a, on an envelope and put the seal down on it. And then it was carried. No one could break the seal but the king or whoever it was sent to. If you're involved in shipping, you know that when the truck is full and is locked, a seal is put on that. No one can break it except on the delivery site. Seals have been put on things to keep those who are not supposed to open it from opening it. In this case, it is a Roman seal. It is a government seal. No one can open this tomb but a government official. They think. The Bible does not tell us how they sealed it. There are two opinions on it. First, that a rope of some kind was put on one side of the tomb and around the stone and on the other and sealed with you to the semen or wax and the Roman seal put on those on the end of that. And that took place in Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. A cord was put on it and the king's seal was there sealing him in that tomb with the lions. Others think the word seal means they cemented it and then put a Roman seal on the cement. We don't know for sure. But what we do know for sure is this. The efforts of the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders were brought to nothing. Whatever the Roman soldiers are standing there to keep that rock from opening, the seal, whatever it is, has been there to keep that stone from being moved and God moved it. And when Mary Magdalene and the others got there, it was already open. And the soldiers that were there protecting it had run for their lives into the city. Proverbs 11 and verse 21 says, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. Governments and kings and nations rise up and join hand in hand against the Lord and against His anointed, against His children, they will not, they cannot prosper. From the days of Babylon until the end when Jesus comes and destroys all the nations. Nations are determined to make a one world government and a one world religion and they cannot accomplish it. Why? Because God's religion will be on the earth. There will always be two of them. 
God is always in the process of saving His people and shall save His elect till the end of time. Whatever you may believe about all that, men will endeavor to overthrow God's rule on the earth and will never be able to accomplish it. Here is the Roman government setting a seal on the tomb of Jesus Christ. He cannot, he will not come out of this tomb because we have said that he cannot and he will not come out of this tomb. The government has spoken. And God sits in the heavens and laughs. It makes no difference what men do to try to stop God from doing what God's going to do because they will not be able to do it. And you can point to this, say, look at this, this one failed. It said he was a Christian. God must have failed. Or this happened and God must have failed. Or that happened and God must have failed. Your eyes have not been opened to understand God cannot fail. You cannot see that there's a God who is always accomplishing His will in the earth. We cannot judge from what we look on the earth and see. We must judge from how heaven views things. And so these dear sisters are wandering the streets of Jerusalem as they come out of the city and come to the garden. The stone is removed. John skips a whole bunch of stuff and Mary Magdalene's on her way back to Peter and John. <laughs> but a whole lot took place before that took place. But not only did they face the wicked men that were on the streets, not only did they face the prospect of Roman soldiers and a government seal, but something else took place. There was an earthquake. There was an earthquake. Matthew 28, verse 2. Not just an earthquake. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. What are you going to do now? God has sent an angel. And God has sent an earthquake. And the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. By the way, can I just comment as a side thing? When Peter and John looked in to that tomb that had previously been empty, no one else laid there, they saw, and the Scriptures record, that the linen that he had been clothed was folded nice and neat and set there. And the head covering had folded nice and neat and set there. Can we learn anything from that? Always leave the place where you have been better than when you arrived. If it is possible. Children, that means that when you show up in your bedroom and mom has cleaned it, I said, wow, look what mom's done. Don't mess it up again, please. Make it better. That restroom, make it better. When you go to the restaurant, my wife says, why are you doing that? I said, because I'm not going to leave crumbs on the table. I take a napkin, I clean my place, and I put it on. She, she said, nobody does that. I do. Because the next person coming to my table is not going to sit down at a dirty table. Because I've been there. Brother Pat, you're crazy. I might be. But if possible, I'm going to leave a place cleaner than when I found it. 
I'm thinking about those words about Jesus' linen folded neatly. I think we can learn something from that. But that's a side note. All of these obstacles did not hinder Mary Magdalene and the others. They rose early in the morning before dawn. They made whatever preparations were uh, in their hearts ready and then they ventured out with one great desire. They're going to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene and the others came to the tomb to finish embalming the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus, of, uh, of, when Jesus was embalmed by Joseph and Nicodemus, it was a hurried job. They wrapped Him quickly and laid Him in the tomb because remember it's a preparation day and the hours, the minutes were passing away. He had died. They were taken down. The Scriptures reveal that Mary Magdalene and a few other other women followed them to the sepulcher so they would know where it's at. Mary Magdalene herself waited by the side of the sepulcher up to the last minute and then went to her house. She and the others had been to the tomb. They knew where they were going. But Mark adds something. Mark 16 and verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene Mary, and Mary the mother of James and Salome had, past tense, bought sweet spices. Bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. Mark said the women had bought the spices in order to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. When did they buy them? They could not have done it on the Sabbath. They would not have done it on the Sabbath. It was too early in the morning for the shops to be open on the streets of Jerusalem. When did they buy these spices? When did they put them together and prepare them to anoint the body of Jesus Christ? Well, they must have bought them after He was laid in the tomb and on their way back home to honor the Sabbath. I think we gather that from Luke's, Luke 23, verse 55 and 56, when the women also which came with Him from Galilee followed after, that is, they're following after Joseph and Nicodemus, and beheld the sepulcher and how His body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. They saw where the sepulcher was. They took off from there. Had to go through the shops to get home. Bought the spices, anointment. Prepared it all. And then the Sabbath came. And rested. Everything is ready for when they are able to go out again. That's the history. But what do we learn from it? What is it that God's trying to teach us about the actions of these dear sisters. The first is this, brethren, that the service to our God will cost us something. They bought the spices and the anointment. And the ointment. It will cost us something of our money. It will cost us something of our time. And it will cost us something of our energy. They brought them to the house. They prepared it. They got it ready. 
All of that money, time, and energy were put into getting that ready so they could serve the Lord Jesus Christ. None of these women were wealthy. Just common women who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them had been following Him from the early days of His ministry, had been ministering to Him and the disciples from out of their own pockets, out of their own finances. Yet even in the end, when it seemed that all of it was over, they were all willing to to use what funds they had in order to do one last thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows where their heart was with regard to their Savior. The first thing we can learn is that serving the Lord might cost us something, will cost us something. The second thing is that our service to our God requires forethought. Never was anything accomplished for God in a haphazard way. Always thought must be given. Always consideration must be given. Always forethought. Thinking through. Making plans. Doing what we can do with what God has given us. They prepared ahead of time. So that they might be ready when the time came to render to their Savior that which they could do. That which they wanted to do. And so they prepared and got ready. They did not know when that time would come. It was early in the morning on the first day of the week when they thought, let's go now. We don't know what the Roman soldiers are doing. We don't know what's going to happen. It's early in the morning. The streets are filled with people and the soldiers are going to be an obstacle. The stone itself was going to be an obstacle. But we got to do this. We need to do this. It's in our heart to do it. Serving the Lord takes forethought. Think about it. Think about what you can do. Think about what God's done in your heart. Think about what God's done in your life. And think about what God could do with you. Prepare. How do I speak to people? I don't know how to speak to people, Brother Pat. Read the Scriptures. Read the Gospels. Memorize some verses. Prepare. I was early Christian. I began to memorize verses. It was a 20-minute drive to work and a 20-minute back drive home. And I had these 3 by 5 cards. The address was on one side. The verse was the on the other. And for 20 minutes, I drove through San Antonio traffic. Gives the address, quoting the Scriptures, looking on the back, got it wrong. Here's, and then memorize it, lay that down, pick up another one. At the end of the year, 150 verses. A stack of 3 by 5 cards, and I'm going through them as quick as I can for the 20-minute drive home and the 20-minute back drive. And what did you do for lunch, Brother Pat? I found, I took me a sack lunch while everybody else was in the lunchroom. I went out under a tree, and I read the Scriptures. What was God doing? Well, what was I doing? I, was, I wanted an answer to people who just blow me away on Thursday night or Saturday morning. No, it's not that, it's this. And I didn't have an answer. I said, Lord, give me an answer. Give me an answer from your word. Little did I know in all that preparation, God may use me someday to teach somebody else something. Prepare. But I don't know what God's going to do. That's all right. God does. God knows what He's going to do with you.
Service to our God requires forethought. They bought the spices quickly as they got home. They got it together and then rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. It's all prepared. It's all ready. And when the moment arrives, they're ready. They're not scrambling around and saying, oh man, we forgot to buy the spices. What are we going to do? All the shops are closed. No. It's not like that. I've had moments like that. I'm sure you have too. But it's not like that in this text. If our hearts are ready to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, in whatever activity that is before us in the day, whatever circumstances may arise in the day, whatever we face, we will not miss the opportunity to serve the Lord. The third thing, and no commentary ever said anything about this, and I didn't think about it until late Friday evening as I was dozing off. The cost of the spices, the time and energy spent preparing it properly, was all gone, was all lost. Because they did not understand the Word of God. They didn't understand that Jesus would not need the spices. That Jesus would not even be there after three days and three nights. Because as verse 9 says, for as yet they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. They didn't know what the Word of God, they were ignorant. But you know what? Being ignorant of one aspect of God's Word did not keep them from a desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a preacher say to me, Brother Pat, these men that you're working with, they haven't been properly educated. They haven't been to college. They don't have master's degrees in Greek and Hebrew. Brother Pat, how can they serve the Lord? I said, because they have a heart for it. They will learn. They will learn. When a man has a hunger and thirst for the things of God, he can set himself to serving the Lord in the midst of his ignorance, and God will teach him. I was six weeks old in the Lord the first time I was knocking on doors. And I was going with a man that was um, uh, ten weeks old in the Lord. And, 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 and something happened. He had to leave me. I was alone. And two or three houses later, this guy just blew me out of the water. No, it's not that. I was armed with John 3.16 and Ephesians 2.8.9. That was the full sum of my... And that's it. That's all I had. He blew me away. What about this verse? Well, I, uh, I don't have an answer for that. And asked my wife how many times I came home on Thursday night and said, you go on to bed because i got to search. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I crawled into bed. Finally, I got an answer to that. They were ignorant. They'd spent money and time and energy. How are we to look at that? What are we to say about that? Well, some uh, people who never make a mistake in their life out of ignorance would say, see, I told you so. They shouldn't have been doing that. I'm sure, God glad, I'm sure glad God's not that way. We passed out 19,000 pieces of literature over one summer and I think it was 1981 or... Uh, not one person attended the church 
all our efforts. But one man did call us and introduced us to a church, and in that church was a family that knew a man who at that time lived in Alaska. And that man was in Alaska, contacted me, thinking, well, I might want to move to Texas. And we sat down and had coffee, and in the course of a conversation, he said, I know somebody in India, and I said, give me his name. 1984. And I wrote in the summer of 84 my first letter to James Dolly. And from the summer of 84, tried to get in, or 86, tried to get in for four years and couldn't get in. Finally, in the summer of 1990, the government of India gave me five days. So I flew to Northeast India and preached to 150 pastors and flew home with a burden that would never leave my heart. Be ready. You serve God. You do what it is in your heart to do. And if you don't see the results and it looks like you spent all this money for nothing, Wait a little while longer. See what God might do. There's more to that story. There's another story. Five missionary families with a burden to go to the New Hebrides, raised money in England, gathered their families together, were put on ship, all the cost to get them from England across the waters, stepped out of the boat, the ship into a boat, rowed to shore, got out into the water, and the cannibals from this island in New Hebrides killed them all. Mother, daddy, children in the waters, ocean waters, in New Hebrides, stained with the blood of God's people. It shook England. And people said, we just wasted all that money. We don't need to send anybody else to the New Hebrides. And others said, I wonder what God was doing with all of that. And in 1858, there was a 34-year-old man that said, I'll go. And people said, they're going to eat you alive. They're cannibals. He said, when I die, the worm's going to eat me anyway, so I'm going to go. You know, life is about perspective sometimes. Death is coming to us all. Well, you might die. Yeah, I might. I might not. 1858, John Payton stepped out of the boat out of the ship into a boat, rowed to shore, stepped onto the shores of the New, uh, New Hebrides Island and died when he was 82 years old in 1907 from falling off a horse on his way to preach the gospel. The death of the previous missionaries only added to the burden of some that the gospel still needed to go to that place. Others packed up and went home because what a waste. But others could see God was still in the midst of this thing. William Carey spent years translating and writing different learning different languages and translating dictionaries and grammars and manuscripts and and translating bibles and 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 painstakingly having a um a, 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 a t- 
uh, 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 types made of all the different languages of the Bibles that he was uh, was uh, was printing and 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 huge volume of paper and ink and and printing equipment and all of it in this huge building and it caught fire one night and burned to the ground. All of it. Carrie was gone and he came back and they said, look at this, what a loss. And he knelt down in the middle of those people. God, he said, I thank you that I have enough strength left to start all over. While people in England said he should have never been doing it in the first place. It wasn't wasted. That people might think it was. From God's perspective, brethren, all of our little efforts are not wasted. God is glorified in it all. If a cup of cool water takes the notice of the Almighty so that a reward is given, how much more the money spent on preparing spices to anoint the body of Jesus even though He would not even be there. God says nothing more of the money. God says nothing more of the time or the effort spent. Nothing is ever recorded about it. It just falls into the cracks of history as though it were some insignificant little thing. We do not know what they did with it. We do not know what happened. We do not know the minds of the women when they got there and didn't need it after they had spent all that money. But God took note of the heart. God took note of their love. God took note of their sacrifice. And God took note of their efforts. And God remembers. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God doesn't forget. And they saw an empty tomb and the angel told them, recorded in Mark 16, you go and you tell the disciples and Peter that he will go before you in Galilee, Mark 16, verse 5 and 7. And Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus and the other women that were with him, told these things to the apostles. John records that Mary goes... Mary Magdalene goes specifically to Peter, specifically to John. What can we learn from this? Here are these women who have hazarded their lives and gone through an earthquake and, 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 and with a heart to do what they could to the Lord Jesus Christ and they arrive and He's gone. And then they're given instruction. This is what you need to do. And what do they do? What do they do, brethren? They quickly get up and they run to the apostles. 
And they've got conflicting reports. We don't know where the body is. And he's risen and Peter and John come and, and there's this confusion and everybody's in an uproar and nobody really knows what's going on, at least in that moment in those early morning hours. What can we learn from that? First, despite the loss of some things, there are still other things that need to be done. Go tell His disciples that I am risen from the grave. Second, God may use you as He did these women to help others who are in as much need as you are in. Their heart was breaking. They were struggling over the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were in need. But their heart was full of love for Him. But they weren't alone. There were others just like Him. And they went back and told them, He's not there. He's risen. That's good news for a child of God. Later that evening when they were meeting, as the day would progress, He would go to the two to Emmaus, and then later that evening when they were meeting, He came into the midst of them. It was the first day of the week. And he spoke to them. And everything the women had said was true. He's alive. Third, God may use you to help those who have fallen under the same circumstances that you face, but in which you did not fall. Do you remember all the disciples faced the death of Jesus Christ? But one of those fell miserably. One of those denied His Lord. One of those went out from His presence weeping. The rest didn't do that. The rest didn't fall like Peter fell. And so the angel said, you go and tell His disciples and Peter and Mary Magdalene of all of these women who would know something about the depths of sin and the depths of failure. Mary Magdalene runs to Peter. I've been sent to give you a message. He's alive. He's alive. She had not fallen like this. The rest had not fallen like Peter, but Peter had fallen. And God took a special interest in one of His servants who had fallen. Go send him a message that will help him. You came to anoint my body. You wait. You've, you've, you've spent this money. You've spent this time. It's not needed, but this is what you need to do now. Go tell them that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. And the fourth thing is this. God may use you to help those who will later become more useful in God's kingdom than they are at present. All the apostles hiding for fear of the Jews with a message that they had a hard time receiving from Mary and others. In fact, they didn't even believe it at first. And Jesus came in and rebuked them for not believing it. And then all of that set in place that a few days later, these are the same people that will be on the streets of Jerusalem preaching with boldness that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, was buried and rose again the third day and He could save you from your sins. If you're a child of God, 
never stop serving Him. Whatever the circumstances are that you are facing, never stop serving the Lord. If you're not a child of God, there is no greater life than a life spent serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know the world is screaming in your ears at this and this and that and that and, and, and look at all this and look at all that. I know that. I know the world is just screaming in your ears. And you're looking at men that have made billions And you look at those who are Christians and you say, what, what kind of life is that? You can't look at the present. You've got to look at the future. You can't look at this time. You've got to look in eternity. When that man who's made billions is in hell because he rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And that simple common woman whose life was spent in disease and demon possession, met Jesus Christ and God spoke to her first and sent her to the disciples, is sitting at the feet of Jesus in glory and having spent her money to serve the Lord and having spent her money to serve His disciples, in the end we never hear anything else about her. Except the Scripture says, Jesus Christ appeared to her first. What an amazing testimony. And she sits in glory before the King of glory. And Pilate and the high priests and the Sanhedrin and the Jews who rejected Jesus and all the money and the kings and the captains of the world bound in hell the simple saint whose heart was set on Jesus sits before the God of Almighty, Almighty God and glory. Don't weigh things based upon what you see in the world today. Weigh them according to the Scriptures. Let's pray.